Amen. Thank you, Philip. Uh, our kiddos can be dismissed. And uh, today I'm, I'm joined by my good friend and mentor, Robert Marshall. Robert is uh, one of the guys who I've given permission, I've invited him to speak into my life. And uh, it's always key that you invite that. Uh, I don't think you hold back. I hope not. I don't think I do. <laughs> and, uh, but he's an encouragement to me, uh, a supporter of me, someone who cares for my soul, but also cares for our church uh, very deeply, and uh, just super thankful for him. Uh, he has served as a pastor. Uh, you've been a minute, like, did you say 46 years the other day? Yep. 46 years in ministry, uh, followed Jesus even longer than that. How yeah. long? Well, let's see, um, 57 years, I guess. 57 years, yeah. 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 So, um, as we began looking at Psalm 71, uh, and we conclude our Summer in the Psalm series this morning, uh, I was struck with the, the portrait of someone seasoned in life, seasoned with trials and sufferings, seasoned with experiences of God's faithfulness, and, uh, and Robert came to mind. So, thanks for being willing to step up and willing to, to share and dialogue with us this Glad morning. Glad to do it. Appreciate being here. Yeah. The funny part is that a week and a half ago when Justin called me and said, hey, um, would you be up for doing a tandem with me? Yeah, sure. And um, said so we'd like to do an interview. I thought, I thought, oh, he wants me to interview him. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I'll be glad to do that. And um, then when we got together, he said, yeah, we're going to be in Psalm 71 talking about people who have served God from their youth all the way to old age. Wait a minute. You're saying I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> old age and gray hairs. Yeah, but this isn't gray hair. This is a chrome bumper. It's beautiful. This, it's this, beautiful. this is an upgrade. You have to pay extra for a chrome bumper. I, uh, I, <laughs> I felt bad asking him because uh, in, a, in a passage that speaks about when my years are spent and my energy is spent, he just got back riding a motorcycle from Utah to Alaska, all right? So uh, he's got tons of energy left. And he's given it away towards the investment of others and to the generations to come. And that's one of the reasons why I invited him to even come and speak to us, because I think he's someone who's modeled that well, uh, his investment in the next generation. Uh, he does that for me, uh, but I, I, I think I saw a, like a, a spreadsheet of his that had a list of over 100 people that he is personally connecting with on a regular basis, touch points, people that he's investing in, and I'm thankful for your faithfulness. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. This this passage that we're looking at today, Psalm 71, we're going to highlight a few things uh, in this as as we get going this morning, and there's similar themes to some of the, the other Psalms that we covered. Uh, themes of neediness before God, we see that in this passage. Themes of suffering, themes of seeing God as a place of refuge. Uh, but there's several phrases in this passage uh, that maybe you don't catch it at first glance. And uh, even as we were kind of planning this morning with the, the worship team, they were kind of like, hey, where are you taking this? And uh, the theme of age was not one that, that surfaced. And, and, and I want to kind of point your attention to several of the passages, because this is one of the, the few psalms that kind of highlight that, that idea of age over and over and over again. And it may not jump off the page at you, 
But in verse 5, it says, from my youth. In verse 6, it says, I leaned from before my birth. Verse 6, you took me from my mother's womb. Verse 9, do not cast me off in my old age. Verse 9, forsake me not when my strength is spent. Verse 17, from my youth you have taught me and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. Verse 18, so even old age and gray hairs do not forsake me until I might proclaim your might to another generation. Verse 20, you have made me see many troubles and calamities. This is a person who has some history with the Lord. Uh, revive me again, verse 20, bring me up again, comfort me again. And so we see this, this uh, language of someone who's journeyed with the Lord for uh, several years, has seen and witnessed God's faithfulness through many troubles and calamities, and has remained faithful in the midst of that. But it's also the picture of someone struggling and, and, and finds themselves in a, in a place of need older in age, and asking God to, to not turn from them. And I, I want to posture us this morning because uh, we're a predominantly younger congregation. We're thankful for the wisdom and the investment. Uh, we've had several uh, people who have joined our church and said, like, I just want to pour myself out for the younger generations that are here. And I want you to know that is a gift. Thank you for that. Um, and, and so, like, what is it that I hope that we glean from this passage? The first is this. I hope it's an encouragement to faithfully endure for your whole life, to persevere, to keep going. I hope it postures us as a younger generation that we have a lot to learn from the generation that came before us. And, and I'm, I'm guilty. I, I, I think a lot of us would be guilty to... Uh, we, we, I, I just remember my kids are getting to that age where like we as parents don't know anything, <laughs> right? And, uh, and, and it comes in time that we look up and we go, oh, there's, I have a lot to learn. And I hope that this postures us in a place where we look at the generations that come before us and not criticizing, but honestly just gleaning and learning and posturing ourselves as, as a learner. And then lastly, for our older generation, uh, that God isn't done. God isn't done with you. And that there's a continued work that God wants to continue to bring about through you. And so um, let's jump into this passage. I'm going to start with verse 3. And I've basically uh, kind of framed this in uh, three different questions that we're going to look at. Uh, but starting here in verse 3, it says, Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. That I may continually come. And when I first read this passage, it was a picture to me of treading a path to God. Uh, I, I, look out, I, I looked out the window this morning because our smallest dog has been escaping the backyard. And so I was watching him. And, uh, and so I was staring out our window, and as I looked out the window, you could see this pathway in the yard. That pathway wasn't there when we moved in, but our dogs continually run that path, and it's, it's, it's caused it to just go barren between, you know, that, that, that pathway that Moki loves to run. And I love this picture of continually returning to this, this picture of, like, refuge, a rock of refuge that I may continually come. This is a place that the writer has frequented. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't, uh, you know, I, I think of, 
uh, patterns and rhythms of our life that we've walked in. And I go, man, I've done this for 20 years. I've done this for 30 years, 40 years. It's a pathway that I've continually walked in. God being a place of refuge. And my question uh, this morning would be, what rhythms have been most helpful in cultivating a relationship and trust in the Lord? You'll see it here on the screen. And how has faithfulness in God grown throughout the years? Well, you asked me that. You told me that in the prayer room back there. And I thought the rhythms that um, I would have to point to have been more like fusion jazz in my life (laughs) because they have not been the same thing over and over but they have been consistent to point me back to the fact that God is good. Um, when I was 28 years old, I, up to that time, I had thought God was angry. We were in Vegas one time, and they were playing Mole Whacker. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, I looked at my wife and said, that's how I feel God is. He's just waiting for me to stick my head out so he can whap me a good one. And um, we had a son who fell 12 feet, landing on concrete. He's three years old. He didn't know if he was going to live. And um, that night in the hospital, all night long, I kept waking up with this verse I'd heard from an Arthur Blessed sermon, uh, that just part of it, thou art good and doeth good. And I'm sitting there going, I don't feel much goodness right now. You know, this doesn't seem good. The next morning, I found the verse, Psalm 119, verse 68, and it says, thou art good and doeth good, teach me thy statutes. And what I had to do, I realized if I don't recognize the goodness of God, I'm never going to rightly understand his word. And I had to go back and completely reread the Bible through the lens of his goodness rather than, oh, here he's mean, here he's mean, here he's mean, here he's mean, and completely relearn. That has been the touchstone for me that God is good. No matter the difficulties we have with our children, with their in-laws, with whatever we've had, with parents divorcing and all that jazz, um, the, the, the solid rock for me has always been that God is good. Somehow there's goodness in this. Mm. He, he is still, even in the middle of this difficulty, he is still good. And that has been the touchstone anchor for me. Yeah. You, you mentioned something the other day when we had met talking about like looking at life over the long haul. Oh, yeah. Having yeah. that perspective, um, <clears throat> you know, when I think of God be in a place of refuge that he continually walked in. Um, I think it's easy for us to have these blinders up and we just see the, the circumstances that we're facing mm-hmm. right here and now. Talk to me, yeah, having that view in mind of like the next 70 years. Well, the lesson for me on that was the five wise and the five unwise virgins. That I came into this thing during the Jesus movement. And the Jesus movement um, <clears throat> was predicated on Jesus is coming back at any moment. He forgot to show up in September of 1976, but who's keeping track, you know? And um, that was the date. And I'm not saying he's coming back. I'm just saying it'd be a good time is what that particular book said. <laughs> but it, with the five wise and the five unwise virgins, they were unwise, not because he showed up so quickly, but it says because he delayed his coming. And there were so many in the Jesus movement who, oh, he's coming back and I'll follow him until he gets back and then life gets a little bit hard. I didn't sign up for this and they check out, you know. But the, the, the unwise virgins were unwise because he delayed his coming. It took longer. This life takes longer. We're going to go through more things than we anticipate. If he had shown us, you know, there's not a one of us in the room that couldn't say it. If he had shown us what we were going to go through as a result of following him, yeah, I don't, I don't think many of us would have signed up for yeah. it, you know. Um, it's the delay of the coming. And wisdom of the five wise virgins was, was wrapped up in the fact that they were prepared for the long haul. This thing is bigger than we are. You know, Habakkuk, write it down and hang it on the wall so that those who see it can run with it. 
If the vision we have isn't bigger than us, isn't longer than us, it, I heard a song last night, if it doesn't scare the Gehenna out of you, because we can't say the bad word yeah. in church, you know. But if your vision isn't so big it scares the Gehenna out of you, your vision isn't big enough. And the reality that, that this walk with God, man, it's so much bigger and so much longer. And I have to be willing to step back and look at this because he is dealing not in the short term. He is dealing with so far 2,000 years of history of putting together this montage of his body. We're all his body. Mm. And it's easy to get so wrapped up in what my church is doing and the great things that are happening now that we forget. There was a picture you guys had, the community group picture. My wife punched me and said, I love that picture. Because you had gray hairs, yeah, that one. You had gray hairs, middle-aged parents, and then the kid over here, what is that, watermelon he's yeah. reaching for? It's the whole continuum. And if we lose sight of that and get so wrapped up in what, what's happening right now, man, we've, we've mm. missed the picture in my mind. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's wise. I think uh, <clears throat> so much of life... We're trying to figure out how, how we can glean all we can, mm -hmm. and we're not leaving anything for the generations to come. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And I think that's what he's going to get to. Uh, you, you mentioned the mole whacker. Do you guys know what we're talking about? When we, yeah, okay. I see your motion. Like you, You've been to Dave and Buster's. The mole pops his head out of the hole, and you, you whack it on yep. the head. Um, the writer of this psalm has some mole whackers, all right? Like they are some mole whackers. Yeah. We, we read down in verse 7, it says, I have been as a portent to many. This idea of, of portent is the idea of uh, suffering as a result of God's displeasure in him. Mm. That's, that's what this, this idea, it, it traces it all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, where it says, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you're destroyed. Why? Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. They shall be a sign and wonder. They'll be a portent against you and your offspring forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. And so not only do you and I experience and maybe walk through seasons where we're like, oh, this is God's displeasure in us mm -hmm. and he's whacking us and, and, and we feel that displeasure, um, the, the psalmist here actually writes that the, the people who are accusing him are actually playing into that as well. Right. It says, for my enemies, verse 10, for my enemies speak concerning me, those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. And so that, not only do we have a tendency to, to believe that at times, and not all suffering is, in life is, is out of a, a sense of, uh, we've done something wrong and God's, you know, seeking to take, you know, revenge against mm -hmm. us. Um, there's a lot of different types of suffering. But, and in this case, the, his enemy is really charging him with that and putting that upon him. And they're saying, God has forsaken him, pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. And uh, I think there's a tendency in all of us that we're tempted to believe that God has nothing for us good in this life. And we're tempted to, uh, to fall into a place where we just experience suffering. We're like, how is God good in the midst of this? Does God love me? Has mm. uh, God forsaken me? And I think this is a picture of someone who 
uh, is wrestling with that tension of going, do, do I still have something to give in this life? And it's that generational perspective. Verse 18 says, so even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until when? Until I proclaim your might to another generation. There's a sense in which um, he, he still is seeking to be faithful to the Lord in his old age. Uh, my question for you to kind of like frame our, our conversation is how have you combated your usefulness in the kingdom of God throughout the years? How have I combated it? How have you combated your usefulness in the kingdom of God throughout oh, the years? Oh, there have been plenty of times I've wondered if, I've, <laughs> if I'm doing anything worth the doing. And I can still get that one. You know, you still wonder God is there. But, you know, the work that he does in us is for the sake of taking away everything that doesn't look like him. It's not that he's putting stuff on us. He's taking away everything that doesn't look like him. And when I have felt um, most quandary has been at those times when he has uh, ripped my chest open without the benefit of uh, anesthetic, and he's poking around in there dealing with all this garbage that's on the inside, and I came to the place after that experience, thou art good and doeth good. After that, I came to the place where it was kind of like, okay, God, look, this really stinks. I really don't like this. But while you're in there, if you could just poke around a little bit and see if there's anything else that can be dealt with right now so that we don't have to go through the opening and closing process again, mm-hmm. that would be cool. Uh, to realize that he has us opened up for a good reason. It's for a good thing. The trouble in our marriage, everybody has trouble in their marriage. Some people are just honest about it. You know, the trouble that we've had in our marriage, we've been married 42 years this year, and you go, wow, that's so old. Really, it's not. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, oh, this happened in 1982, and they just went, oh, you know, <laughs> they were born all the way back in the 90s. And, and I thought, that sounds so old. What I tell my kids is that it's like standing in the living room of the house looking out through the front window. Nothing changes out there. It's still Wyatt's house over there, and those people are still there and there and there. And, and nothing, their trees have gotten a little bit bigger, but the scene for me hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. They're driving by on the road, and they're looking at the uh, shingles that, have, that are gone, you know, and the shutters are drooping, and it needs some paint. And other, They're driving by seeing this old house. It's the same view for me. So... 42 years later, the difficulty that we've had in marriage and our raising kids and relationships and all of the different things and the church relationships we've had, those have been for the purpose of making us look more like Christ. And so when we lean into that and are able to say, okay, God, do what's necessary in me so that I can bring more glory to you later, that makes the process better. It's not necessarily easy getting there, but it is a joy when we do reach that point. Yeah. When... When you think about your ministry over the long haul, mm-hmm. um, ministry has looked different for you mm-hmm. um, throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Um, you're obviously, you're, you mentioned to me, like you're passing this off to the other generation. Mm-hmm. How do you see your role in that today? Well, you know, I told you the other day, we, we worked at, helped out at a church here in town for many years and when, um, when, that, when that came to an end, which seasons come to an end, it's good, um, the first Sunday after that, we came to your place. You were up there on uh, Foothill. And you were preaching that day, and when I walked out, I told my wife, if that's what's coming next, I don't have to. I don't have to keep doing this the way I've done it. Mm-hmm. 
I'm, I'm glad for the next generation to take it. If that's what's coming, if the quality of, of desire and passion, you know what impressed me about this church was you had like 150 people there with kids everywhere. They were willing to bring their kids out. And my attitude is people aren't going to crank their truck if it's not worth going, much less bring their kids. But you had a room full of people, young families who had their kids. You had some older, some older generation who said this is worth it. And if that's what's coming next, now I'll pour my life into that. What can I do to help that generation? And so I get with, I get with whoever I can get with just to encourage them and challenge them along the way. It's worth serving Jesus, man. Yeah. Yeah. So ministry's not done. No, ministry's not done. Not at all. No, yeah. not in any way, shape, or form. You, uh, you made a statement the other day. I wrote it down. A man's ministry ought to die with the man. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not just people in pastoral work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, a man's ministry ought to die with the man. Talk to me about that. Well, okay, that's from Watchman Nee, and he has all kinds of examples to um, illustrate that. But... If, if I'm going to indebt the next generation, you have to do my work my way. Well, what's, how, who am I to tell them what their calling from God is? God might have something so much bigger, better, larger, if more effective for them. But if I straddle them, saddle them with, no, you have to do what I have done the way I've done it. Because in my lifetime, there have been three. We're on, I've seen two major changes, and I think we're on the verge of a third. And how in the world am I qualified to say, no, I'm going to indebt the next generation, the next two generations, to pay the debt on what God's doing in my lifetime, because this is the way he's done it. Jesus healed three blind men. He did it three different ways. To say that there's only one way to heal a blind man is just limited. Mm-hmm. And to say that there's only one way for God to do ministry in any generation that's not wisdom. Yeah. He does it different ways. And so, okay, what is God calling you to do? What can I do to help you be encouraged in the work that he's called you to do? Now go do it. That's what I feel like God's calling us to now. Yeah. I, um, I see one, one of the questions. We, we had a, a group of men together uh, a few nights ago, and one of the questions that came up was, uh, how do you combat complacency. You've walked with Jesus for so many years. Uh, This book isn't changing. Um, What does that look like to journey with Jesus and not grow complacent in your your place of faith? Well, I'll tell you one benefit is having that spreadsheet of names. there, There is a responsibility in life. I do have possibly, you can ask my wife, an overdeveloped work, work ethic. Made sure all of my kids had probably an overdeveloped work ethic. But um, uh, there's too much work to be done. There, there's too much to be done. You know, he said in the last day, there are going to be two revivals in the last day. He said the last day cannot come until the, son, the man of perdition appear, and there's going to be a great falling away. So that's a revival of evil, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. And then he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, Acts 2, 17. So there's your revival of righteousness. There are two revivals going on, and we can see it right now. Evil is on the increase. Righteousness is on the increase. So which of those two revivals I choose to be involved in is really up to me. I can go with the complacency and see evil spread, or I can do what I'm called to do. And there's always more work to do. There's always somebody else. If we're looking for somebody else, I have on my other key ring, we went to K2 several months ago, and uh, Dave Nelson had a basket. He said, at the end, he said, I want you to come up. If you're willing to be a fisherman, come up with this basket and take. I got two fishing lures. He was giving out fishing lures. 
And I put it on my key ring because everywhere I go, I want to be reminded I'm fishing for men. Mm. So when I go to the little girls at Beans and Brews, which is where we meet a lot, I'm, I'm there on a purpose. I'm there with intention. Everywhere we go on this trip to Alaska, we met people, waitresses. We met people at Gasta. Everywhere we go, there's something. That, there's always more work to be done. Yeah. So that has certainly helped uh, fight against the complacency. And I think that's the encouragement. Oh, God, from verse 17, oh, God, from your youth, you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh, God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, mm -hmm. your power to all those to come. So... This is a picture, like his, his work is not finished. Mm -hmm. He's asking God to preserve his life, which I find fascinating because faced with, I'm, I'm just thinking of myself being faced with this situation, I'm, I'm caring for, number, like, how do I get out of this? And he's going, preserve me mm -hmm. so that I can still care for these others. Right. Um, so it's fascinating. In, uh, in verse 20 through 22, it talks about someone who has experience with the sufferings uh, of the Lord. You've made me see many troubles and calamities. Will you revive me again from the depths of the earth? Bring me up again. Will you increase my greatness and comfort me again? And so this is a person who has uh, a long memory of God's faithfulness and growing hope in life. And uh, the, the question I would ask is, how has your perspective on suffering changed as you've gotten older? Well, I'm pretty sure it's Philip Yancey who said, what if Christians were sponges who absorbed evil from the world so those who don't know Jesus would not have to experience it? Mm. Would we be willing to enter into the sufferings of Christ, is what it says, to that extent, so that we can take that? And what we have found is... Um, you know, we've, we've gone through some stuff that's been really, really pretty sucky. But, man, God's always met us there. Yeah. And we have, 100 years ago, 1,000 miles away, I knew this guy. He was pastor in church. He said, I've never suffered anything. I've never suffered anything. I've never had financial problems. I've never had problems in my marriage. I've never had problems with my kids. Never had people in the church who didn't lie. I've never suffered anything. And my attitude is, how in the world can you pastor how in the world can you enter into the sufferings of other people? If you haven't received mercy, 2 Corinthians 1 said, the trouble we've gone through has been for the express purpose of being able to receive mercy from God so that we can give it to others. If I haven't received mercy because I've lived such a, 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 an easy life, how in the world am I qualified to pastor anyone? Mm. And so when our daughter, our daughter was molested by the youth director and all that jazz and that ended up in court, and it was horrible. And um, Donna, my wife Donna, got really frustrated about that. Rightfully so. Well, I wasn't happy with it, least, but, but she got really personally offended because she had developed an attitude of, God, I, I, I told you I'll do anything for you if you'll just protect my kids. Oh, Mama, you signed a contract that Jesus never signed. Mm. He never said he would sign that. And when we said Jesus is Lord, and this is the hard part, this is the hard part. When we said Jesus is Lord, and when our children said Jesus is Lord, what that means is my life is yours. 
And if 30 years from now you have a 13-year-old girl who needs to talk to someone who has been through this horrible violation that this child has now experienced, and God says, I choose your daughter to be the one, we said he's Lord. She cannot speak into that situation. I cannot speak into the situation of things that we have been through unless I've been through it, received mercy from God, and now out of that difficulty, now we can give mercy. Yeah. If we're not going to receive the suffering, man, he said to you it has been given the privilege not only of being called by his name, but to also suffer for his name's sake. Yeah. And if we, have, if we have robbed Christianity of the difficulty of it, Jesus said, in this world, here's your, here's your refrigerator promise. I'll bet you a dollar not one person in here has this on their refrigerator. In this world, you will see, have tribulation. I mean, nobody has that on their refrigerator. And yet Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. We like the next part, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. You know, But that's in a context of, no, there is difficulty in this life. Yeah. And if we aren't prepared for that with a relationship with Jesus, I'm sorry, we, we've doomed ourselves to, to deal with the difficulty the same way the world does. Yeah. Not a very promising affair. Yeah, I think, I think the key thing that I hope, I hope you're keying in on is the sense of what we have to learn from someone who has journeyed and journeyed well and wrestled well uh, even with that conversation of Jesus being Lord over the suffering, Jesus being Lord in the midst of this, um, and that is hard. And I think it, it's, it's, it's for us as we journey through that, those are moments where I think we can easily just take the detour Absolutely. off of that yeah. and, and run from that. Yeah. And that's where... I think our writer, when we lean in and learn from him, it's someone who is continually, he has experienced that. Troubles and calamities, he's seen many of them. Mm-hmm. But over and over again, the hand of the Lord has revived him, has brought him up again, has comforted him again. And that, that period of experiencing suffering, but seeing God's hand in it over and over and over again it changes your perspective on suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's encouraging. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, what I'm going through is meant to be any easier. It's hard in the midst yes. of it. Mm-hmm. With the knowledge that I have as a 41-year-old mm-hmm. and the way that I journey and deal with suffering is going to be different than how you absolutely. journey. But I feel like I want to learn more from mm-hmm. you. I want to have that perspective that has seen and experienced God's faithfulness over and over and over again so that I, I can see the Lord is going to bring me to a place of abundance. Yeah. Psalm 66, we mm-hmm. talked about that, yeah. that the Lord would bring me to a place of abundance. If I detour, I don't get to that place of abundance. That's right. That's right. The abundance is at the end of the suffering. You know, as we were talking the other day, we look at, we look at Psalm 22, and it's Mount, it's Mount Calvary. That is the passage that Jesus recited when he's on the cross. And we go to Psalm 24, which is Mount Zion. Who shall ascend the mount of the Lord? Who shall attain to his holy mountain? And we all want to live on the mountaintop of forgiveness or rejoicing, but between those two mountains is Psalm 23, mm-hmm. which is, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And shadows, shadows are a real drag because they're cold and they're dark, and no matter how fast you try to run, you cannot outrun them. Mm-hmm. Shadows just stick with you. 
but it's in the valley of the shadow of death that I learned to fear no evil because we want to be at Calvary, we want to be at rejoicing, but it's in the valley that we meet Jesus. I'll fear no evil because you are with me. And there, there we experience the still waters and the green pastures and the, the table of rejoicing in the presence of our enemies. But we want to avoid the valley. If we want to find him, we have got to go through the valley. Churchill said, and somebody's turned it into a country song. Not that country music is good because country music is terrible. I'm sure everyone would agree. But anyway. Um, I disagree. Yeah, well, yeah, so do I. And you know that. But anyway. Um, uh, Churchill said, if you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> Don't stop in the middle of it, you know. But that's what happens. Yeah. We look for the route up the, up the nearest canyon wall to get out of this valley. No. He said, you know what he said? He said, I took them through the valley of Achor. And in the valley of Achor, they dug a well. Achor means suffering. That's what it is. And how many people have changed the world, changed lives because of the suffering that they endured. And in the middle of their acor, they dug a well, they found Jesus, went through the valley, and then somebody else came along in the same valley. Oh, there's a well hmm. left by the person who had gone before. Suffering is a part of it, but it's in the suffering in acor that they learned to dig a well. Yeah. And I think that's, it brings us back to that generation. I mean, that's what the writer is experiencing. Mm-hmm. In the midst of this, let me dig another well for the generation yeah. to come yeah. and continue to show your power to all those who come. Mm-hmm. That's faithful. Um, as, I, as you come to the close of this psalm, he gets into a, a place of praise. The psalm ends with praise. Um, we don't have a picture that God has saved him yet, but it, it does say at the very end, uh, for they have been put to shame and disapp- disappointed who sought to do me hurt. And I think this is someone who has put their full confidence in the Lord. It's it's assurance of salvation. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, as we read this psalm, and it kind of builds in this moment, of old age, of gray hairs, of these people who are trying to come at me, don't forsake me, God. It ends in this moment of praise. And I love the picture uh, and just kind of phrased it, the best is yet to come. Mm -hmm. The best is yet to come. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, it says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Mm-hmm. And I think the, it does lead to a place of abundance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it leads. We don't, you, you said the other day, we don't go out on a downer, on a downer no, note. No, no, uh-uh. no. It's, um, you know, you rode your motorcycle to Alaska. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of a, a bucket list mentality. I've got like all these things. Hey, I want to finish these things in this life. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we have to really look forward to mm-hmm. is the life to come. Absolutely. The salvation found in Jesus. Yeah. Uh, any encouragement in that? Well, there is always more to do, and it does get better. The faithfulness, God rewards faithfulness in this life and in the life to come. 
He said, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. It just keeps getting brighter and brighter mm. until that day we just walk into his presence and go, oh, we're there. It's just so, <laughs> isn't, isn't that so amazing? I don't ever have to look at, there's nothing to do. My grandmother was 95 when she left and she couldn't see and she couldn't hear. She had macular degeneration and she was just stone deaf. But my son, one of my sons could sit and whisper. And she could hear him, the timbre of his voice. She heard every word. It was amazing. And so anytime we would go there, and she, Grandma would say, I'm just, I'm done. And her body was torn up. Her mind was great. Her body was a mess. I'm just ready to be out of here. What can I pray for you about? Wow. There's, there's the attitude. There's always something. If I'm here, I'm here for a purpose. Mm. And if we could get it into her closing box then she would pray for us. There's always something that we can do. Well, I want to be doing more. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't go mountain climbing like I used to be able to. But what I can do, I'm going to do that. Let's yeah. go do that. Yeah. And those things change, and we have to be willing to change with them, or we're going to be left on the side of the river, and the river's just going to keep right on a rolling. So it, it just gets brighter and brighter. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's a good journey. I, um, we're thankful for you. Oh, thanks, brother. Thankful Appreciate for your life. Um, and God the Father is proud of you. Oh, okay. He loves you. And he hasn't forsaken you. Mm. And he's got ministry for you. Mm. And hopefully many, many years of investment into uh, my life and hopefully many others. I appreciate so, that. I receive that. Thank you. Super thankful. We honor you today. Um, thanks for just being willing to, mm -hmm. to share with us. Yeah. yeah. Can I pray over you? Yeah, you bet. You awesome. Bet. Father, we thank you for Robert and Donna Marshall. Lord, thank you for their investment in the kingdom uh, here in the Salt Lake Valley. Thank you for the lives that have been touched, uh, the, the people who have been changed by using them as your vessel. You have caused and allowed them to experience sufferings in this world uh, to, to plant a wellspring for many to come. Lord, what you've journeyed them through, what they've been faithful to endure for your sake, Lord, you are using for your purposes in, in, in kingdom advancement, for your good. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that uh, they, they continued to return to you as refuge. Thank you that they tread a path to you over and over and over again. And, and you've proved your faithfulness to them over. You've revived them again. You've comforted them again. You've brought their life up again. Thank you for your faithfulness to them. And Lord, we pray for many years to come, a faithful ministry, a faithful investment into those who come after. Father, you love this family. You love this man. Thank you that you have not forsaken him. Thank you for giving him the strength and ability to endure. His faithfulness is a testimony of your faithfulness, mm -hmm. God. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, mm -hmm. amen. amen.